You know, there are plenty of causes and effects. Here are some examples. You eat too much and exercise too little, and you gain weight. You throw something up in the air, and it falls back to the ground. Causes and effects. If you are honest, you will be trusted. If you plant a seed, you'll get a plant. Causes and effects. You hang around with a bad crowd, and you'll get bad morals, etc., etc. There are plenty of causes and effects in life, and there are plenty of causes and effects in the Scriptures. And this morning, as we come to Acts chapter 9, turn there in your Bibles, please. Acts chapter 9, jumping in at verse 31 of Acts chapter 9. In verses 31 to 43, we're going to see four causes and their four effects. Ready? Four causes and four effects. Let's start with cause one and effect one, and it's this. Reverence for God brings blessing. Reverence brings blessing. Blessing. I see this in verse 31. See it with me. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. There's the reverence. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So reverence as a cause brings the effect of blessing. Now, may I just point out that at this point in the book of Acts, Early in this book of Acts, the baby church was expanding according to God's plan, not surprisingly. And his plan, you'll recall from sermons past, his plan for the expansion of the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was that the church would spread from Jerusalem, then to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. That's what it says in Acts 1 verse 8, which is a biblical outline of the whole book of Acts. It says in Acts 1 8, but you, that is Jesus' believers, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we are given Holy Spirit power Today, as those first believers were on the day of Pentecost, we are given Holy Spirit power to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Are we sharing our faith? And here in Acts 9, verse 31, we are told that the local churches, by this point in the book of Acts, there was more than one church in Jerusalem. There were other local expressions of the body and bride of Christ already emerging and popping up in the Mediterranean basin. And here in Acts 9, 31, we are told that the local churches in those various places were enjoying some wonderful blessings. They were enjoying peace. They were enjoying edification. They were enjoying comfort, and they were enjoying multiplication. This is what verse 31 says. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Watch it. They were multiplied. Isn't that great? And so verse 31, which I've just read, states that there was one cause for those four blessings. And what was that one cause, according to this one verse? The fear of the Lord. We call it reverence. Proper respect for the holy God that we know through Christ. 
Reverence brings blessing. Again, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, if our beloved church, if Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, would have peace and edification and comfort and multiplication, then we must reverence God. Amen? And what would that look like? How would you know if you're reverencing God in the context of this assembly? How would I know that? What would it look like to reverence God? Well, it would look like loving the Lord and by sincerely worshiping the Lord in this sanctuary, or if you must, online every week. It would look like loving one another, being in a small groups that will resume in the fall, the second Sunday of September, be in a small group. That would be a part of reverencing God because you better love one another when you're in a small group. It would look like loving the lost, not hoarding the gospel to ourselves, but liberally and prayerfully and powerfully and creatively and consistently sharing the good news that Christ has died for sins and arisen from the dead. And he offers eternal life as a grace gift for all who will turn from sin and self and Satan to the Savior by faith. That's what it would look like. It would look like faithfully giving of tithes and offerings to the ministry. To reverence God would look like excellently serving in various ministries that some of which will be resuming in September. It would look like cautiously hating sin. You don't go near the burner on your stove. You're cautious. You stay clear of that hot burner because you know it can burn you. We must be cautiously loving Cautiously, excuse me, hating sin. Like the three little children in the backyard, the mom's doing the dishes at the sink. She sees her three little children playing, and they each have a baby skunk in arms. And she says, Run. And they all run away, still holding their skunks. A lot of Christians do that. The word of God says, run from sin. And we run away holding our sin because nobody else knows about it except God. And we just run away with our skunks waiting to have them spray, but we're banking on they won't spray. And so loving and reverencing God would look like not only cautiously hating sin, but earnestly loving righteousness, pursuing righteousness, that all these things will be added to us, Matthew 6.33. What would it look like to reverence God in our assembly? It would look like consistently putting God first. Numero uno. And if our beloved church would have peace and edification and comfort and multiplication, then we individually and corporately must reverence God. We must respect God. We must Fear God. Now let me ask you. <laughs> if you would dare not to speak negatively behind your supervisor's back at work, should you not guard your tongue more about speaking negatively about God, your supreme supervisor? And if you slow down when you see a police radar trap 
Should you not alter your wrong behavior more for God, the all-knowing God? And if you stand to your feet when a human judge enters the courtroom, should you not stand to your feet, as it were, in your mind and in your heart more for God, who is the ultimate judge? Oh, yes, reverence leads to blessing. And if you concern yourself with fire, should you not concern yourself more with God, who is the consuming fire at the bema, such judgment seat of Christ? Oh, yes, reverence, it's required. Reverence, it's only reasonable. Reverence, it's even rewardable. And so you can mark it down. Reverence brings blessings to a person, to a marriage, to a family, to a business, to a church family. Reverence for God brings God's blessings. So you would know that flippancy about God, over casualness about God, doesn't bring blessings. It brings chastening, spankings for God's children who are flippant, casual about holy God. Verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now let's go to our second cause and the second effect of the second cause. It's this, miracle brings repentance. Miracle brings repentance. I see that in verses 32 to 35. See it with me in your copies of God's word. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all the parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Ananias, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwell at Lydda and Sharon saw him, watch it, and turned to the Lord. The miracle in Aeneas' life caused repentance in the witnesses to the miracle. We don't know much about this particular man named Aeneas. Some commentators suggest that he may not even have been a believer in Jesus Christ. But what we do know about him was that he was paralyzed and confined to his bed for eight long years. Eight years. And we know that Aeneas didn't suffer in silence on his bed because apparently he was known to be bedridden. He was known to be a paralytic by many persons who lived where he lived or the surrounding area to where he lived in Sharon. When Aeneas' miracle was seen, namely that he became unparalyzed, <laughs> when he got out of bed, when the miracle of Jesus Christ healing his physical infirmity was seen, repentance came to many people. End of verse 35. 
turned to the Lord. Let's talk about repentance, what it is and what it isn't, okay? Repentance. In verse 35, there's a helpful definition of biblical repentance. It means to turn to the Lord. That's what repentance means. It means to turn from sin, to turn from self, to turn from Satan to the Lord. To not look the way you were looking, but to turn to the Lord. Let me tell you that repentance for sin is more than being sorry for sin. Because you can be sorry for sin and not turn to the Lord. And repentance for sin is more than words uttered. It's talk is cheap. But repentance is more than just words being said. And repentance for sin is more than just promising to never sin again. And repentance for sin is more than doing penance. Some churches say that you are repentant if you beat yourself up to various degrees of violence to yourself. No, repentance is more than these things. Hear me, repentance for sin biblically is turning from the sin to turn to God. It's stopping going in one direction that doesn't honor God and turning to go in the direction that honors God. That's biblical repentance. Put another way, repentance for sin is turning away from sin because because one is turning to God. So when you turn away from sin, you don't turn to neutrality. No, you turn from sin in order to turn to God. That's biblical repentance. May we be a repentant local church. I've told you before, when I first laid eyes on Beth at Dallas Theological Seminary, she was asked to speak to the incoming student body and faculty. And part of her testimony was how she was trusting God completely to pay for seminary, signed up and came to Dallas without the money to pay for seminary, and God provided a place for her, she said, and I was praying for a free place to live as a student that was free, clean, and had no bugs. She wanted to ask God for a place that was free to live that had cleanliness and no bugs. She's gotten a lot braver in the Bahamas. Now she kills cockroaches. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm so proud of her. <laughs> she's, a, she's a warrior. But I wasn't a warrior back then. But as I'm listening to her share what she was trusting God for, you know what? It caused me to repent of my weak prayer life. I was praying too vaguely, too generally. And here is this beautiful incoming seminary student who said, I prayed for a free place to stay that was clean and had no bugs. And I was rebuked in my spirit by her faith and her prayer life. Miracle spawns repentance. Miracle spawns repentance. Now, something interesting and important for me to point out to you at this juncture. The greatest miracle is not a mansion in Dallas that was free for Beth, clean, and had no cockroaches. The greatest miracle is your miracle if you're saved. The greatest miracle that's possible is that God can save a lost sinner like me. 
that God can save a lost sinner like you. That's the greatest possible miracle. Why? Because salvation costs the greatest price and it produces the greatest results and brings the greatest glory to God. Your salvation story is your miracle to share with others because when you share your miracle of getting saved with someone, God will move in their hearts that they would repent of sin, repent of self, repent of Satan, and turn to the Savior in faith. I've seen it so many times, so many times. So let's recap. We've seen cause one and cause effect. Reverence brings blessing. We've seen cause two and cause or effect two. Miracle brings repentance. What's the third cause with its third effect? Well, it's this. Faith brings expectation. Faith brings expectation. Verses 36 to 42, a longer section. At Joppa was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known, I guess it did, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Faith brings expectation. Clearly, in the aftermath of Sister Dorcas's death, the followers of Jesus in that place had faith that God could raise her from the dead. And we know that this is so because they urgently called for Peter to come to the place where Dorcas' precious body lay. Now, they didn't call Peter so he could pronounce her dead. And they didn't call Peter to provide them grief counseling. And they didn't call Peter to have his help to plan her funeral. No, they called Peter to raise her from the dead. But watch it. They called Peter to raise her from the dead by God's power, not Peter's power. Verse 38. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Will you notice with me that Peter knew why they called him to Dorcas' dead body? And so he emptied the room of all the people that were around her dead body in the room. He emptied the room and verse 40. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. 
And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Praise God. And so, so far, you need to know that so far in the book of Acts, there is no record of an apostle raising a dead person back to life. You can go back backwards from this verse to the beginning of the book. There is no record that apostle, an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, raised any dead person. No record. Hadn't happened yet. Therefore, when those disciples in Joppa urgently called for Peter, they were demonstrating huge faith in Christ. Huge faith in Christ to resurrect Dorcas from the dead by using one of his apostles. Huge faith. Likely, possibly, their train of thought was this. When our Lord Jesus Christ ministered on earth, he raised the dead. So why would he not be able to raise the dead from his exalted place in heaven at the Father's right hand? And this, don't miss this, This was a case of faith bringing expectation. There was a severe drought in the United States. No rain for so long that the crops in this state were dying. And there was a risk of a famine and bankruptcy for the farmers who saw their crops die due to the lack of rain. So a church called a prayer meeting, and the specific purpose for the prayer meeting was to pray for rain. Only one sister in Christ came to the prayer meeting with an umbrella. Those believers came to that prayer meeting, but we could question whether they expected God to answer and to send rain, but one lady brought an umbrella, bless her. One lady's faith gave her the expectation that God would send rain, and even that night. Properly, faith brings expectation. Does your faith bring expectation? Does your faith in God bring you expectation? Romans 15, 13 links faith to hope. It says they're Siamese twins. They hang out together. Faith in God and hope hang out together because faith gives us expectation for God to move. Romans 15, 13, it says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, there's the faith, that results so that you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 13 links faith in God with hope. You want to have hope? Deepen your faith in God. It's that simple. How do you deepen your faith in God? You get to know God through his book each morning. You get to know the character and the promises of God through his holy book. And when you do that, your faith will grow as the Knowles family's faith has grown, as they've stepped out in faith to fix up their house, to get it rentable in this city, to find housing in Florida and transportation in Florida and visas to study in Florida. Their faith in God gives them expectation that God will look after it. 
Does your faith, not your brother, not your sister, not your wife, not your husband, not your grandmother, not your grandfather, does your faith in God bring about in your heart expectation that God will move? It's critical. Faith is meant to bring expectation. Would you have carried an umbrella to the prayer meeting? Isn't this helpful? It's helpful to me. Cause one and effect one. Reverence brings blessing. Cause two and effect two. Miracle brings repentance. Cause three and effect three. Faith brings expectation. There's one more cause. The fourth cause and effect in these verses is this. Sovereignty brings preparation for your next steps. Sovereignty brings direction or preparation for your next steps. When I was in grade four in Canada, the teacher informed me that every Friday I was going to go to the library in our school with a teacher named Mr. Davidson. I didn't know why she picked me. I didn't know what we were supposed to do. But the first time I went to the library with Mr. Davidson, he handed me a book. And he told me to turn the book upside down facing him, and he asked me to read the book for an hour. Next Friday, he did the same thing. Every Friday for one hour, Mr. Davidson gave me practice to read upside down and backwards. I had no idea why. I was too timid to ask him what was going on. I just was compliant, and I did it. Well, I saw Mr. Davidson when I was a young teenager on a beach in Canada. I said, Mr. Davidson, remember me? Oh, I remember you. I said, why did you have me read the books upside down and backwards? He says, well, studies have shown that cognitively, it's an exercise for the brain to help the brain think better. And you were identified by your teacher as having being ahead of the class in some regards so you could afford an hour every Friday to exercise your brain. And that's what I was doing. I go, wow. Wow. Never would have guessed. Guess what? When I went to seminary to study Hebrew, it reads backwards, right to left. God was preparing me to be a pastor when I was in grade four. Or when I learned how to read a book upside down and backwards with Mr. Davidson, I can't tell you how many times I put a Bible between me and someone else, and it was upside down and backwards to me, but it faced the person I was ministering to, and I could read it perfectly upside down and backwards. God trained my brain before I knew I'd be a worker for the Lord. I think of also in grade four, it was a big year for me. My other teacher, Mr. Willows, said, we're going to have a public speaking contest. He pointed to me and two or three other people. He said, you are going to write and memorize speeches and be in the competition. I was scared spitless. (laughs) But I did it with God's help. I won the school public speaking. I won the regional public speaking. I came in third in the provincial public speaking with my speech. But that was God beginning to ready me to be a preacher. Grade four. God's sovereignty brings preparation for our next steps. Let me give you a definition of sovereignty from Dr. Charles Ryrie. God is the chief being in the universe. 
God is the supreme power in the universe. Ultimately, God is in control, complete control of all things. God has a plan, Acts 15, verse 18, which is all-inclusive, Ephesians 1, verse 11, which he controls, Psalm 135, verse 6, which includes but does not involve him in any evil, Proverbs 16, verse 4, and which ultimately is for the praise of his glory, Ephesians 1, verse 14. We know and are known by the sovereign God of the universe who controls everything. R.C. Sproul has said there's not one rogue molecule in the universe. It's controlled by a sovereign God. So why do I bring up God's sovereignty when considering verse 43, which says, so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. If you had a soundtrack to your Bible, when you get to the little phrase, with Simon a tanner, it would go boom, 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 boom. Let me tell you why. In Old Testament thinking, as a Jew, Peter saw all tanners, taxidermists, because Jewish rabbinical law told him to see them as unclean ceremonially unclean. So God tells Peter, you're going to live in Joppa with a taxidermist. (laughs) You're going to live in Joppa in the house of a guy who handles dead animals for a living. Peter's mind is thinking, he's unclean, Lord. Why would I live with him? He's unclean. I'll tell you why. Because God in his sovereign plan for the apostle Peter's life was moving him from a Jewish legalism into the freedom of God's wonderful grace. (laughs) That's the kind of God you trust. That's the kind of God that's working with your Mr. Davidson experiences that are unique to each of you. Because God controls everything about you, Every experience you will have, every experience you've already had is under his supervision. And he is preparing you by his sovereign control of your life to do what he wants to do through you. Isn't that great? (laughs) Makes every day an exciting day. Makes the ordinary extraordinary Sovereignty, the cause of sovereignty brings preparation for your next steps. Watch for it. Now that you know, watch for it. And so Acts 9, 31 to 43 gives us four causes and four respective effects. Let's review. Reverence brings blessing. Miracle brings repentance. Faith brings expectation. Sovereignty brings preparation for your next steps. So let me ask you, which one of those four pairings does God want you to work on this week? God loves you, but he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you the way you are. He wants to grow you, change you, make you more like Christ chip off of you anything that doesn't look like Jesus. 
Which of these cause-effect pairings would God have you to work on this week? Reverence, bringing blessing. Miracle, bringing repentance. Faith, bringing expectation. Sovereignty, bringing preparation for your next steps. Which one of those four? Ask them. In the quietness, if you have quietness afforded you later this day, get alone with God and ask him, which of the four, Lord, which of the four that Pastor Elliot brought out of the text, which of the four do you want to work on with me this week? And then cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. Lord, thank you that you are the God of cause and effect. And thank you for showing us four causes and four effects in these verses. Oh Lord, where we need to be more reverent, may we do so. And Lord, where we need to turn miracles you've done in our lives, not the least of which is saving us, may it bring repentance to those around us because we give you the credit. Lord, where we need greater faith, so we have greater expectation, work in our lives. And where we need to see your fingerprints all over the circumstances of our lives, may we see that you're preparing us for your next steps for us, whatever those good, perfect, and acceptable steps might be. We pray these things, giving you the glory in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen.